On today's show, the voice of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Falwell, joins me. We got to do a Dallas Mavericks halfway, a little bit more than halfway, through the season breakdown. What have we seen from the Mavericks so far? What is real? What is fake? Mark Falwell is going to tell me all that on today's Locked on Mavs. I'm Luka Doncic, and this is Locked on Mavericks Podcast. don't believe you shouldn't be here. And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, media member and NBA channel manager for the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making Locked On Mavs your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can see us right now. And you can see my guests, incredible like shelves full of Emmys, just like Emmy on Emmy on Emmy on Emmy. Uh, and they are well-deserved because I'm joined by Mark Fowler, the voice of the Dallas Mavericks. Mark, what you got for me? Nick, it's all about the background, you know? So you got to have the Emmys in the background, right? I know. It's all it's- about the background around the uh, pandemic Zoom world. You got Emmys. I have lightsabers. We're the same, right? <laughs> hey, lightsabers can do a whole lot more damage when you have to like put them into action. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right, we're doing this. We're doing a uh, forty-one, basically forty-one and a little bit game check-in with the Dallas Mavericks. This season has been so strange. I mean, even stranger than last season when the Mavericks lost a ton of games to COVID. They did the exact same thing again. I did not expect this team to have to deal with that again this year when the pandemic started. Um, but here we are, Jason Kidd, new coach for, for the Mavericks team, a little bit the same, a little bit different. Um, overall, has this season gone as expected? What has been a surprising thing this th- this year that you did not expect? Well, obviously, the Omicron surge has created a situation that I don't think anybody could have envisioned in terms of the Mavericks. And, you know, basically every team has had to deal with losing a lot of players and then have to work players in on the fly that you never would have expected to be on an NBA roster, let alone be getting meaningful minutes in NBA games. So uh, first and foremost, I mean, that's a surprise. I mean, the fact that every team has had to go through this uh, unexpected resurgence of the pandemic, that the NBA has found a way to sort of navigate their way through it. Yes, it is costing teams a lot of players for a lot of games and probably has cost some teams some wins. But it's also, I think, uh, been, you know, it's – it's resulted in some really unique and incredible stories unfolding in front of our very eyes. So, uh, you know, that's the surprise to me, first and foremost. Yeah, so you're saying Isaiah Thomas normally wouldn't be on the Mavericks if <laughs> in, yeah. a normal, in a normal season. Yeah, and then Brandon Knight was great. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I hope that that story, uh, you know, has a happy ending to it, hopefully with the Mavericks for that matter, with Brandon Knight. And you never know if they're going to be able to circle back and get him as part of the mix. And, uh, you know, I think everybody loves Isaiah Thomas, and it's a shame that things didn't, in terms of his career yeah. rebirth, didn't get to really have a chance to take hold here with the Mavs because I was very, very excited about him coming here, not just for what he might be able to do for the Mavs, but that's a story I want to see, uh, you know, uh, result in a comeback into the league and him be a productive member of a good team again. Right. There's a, a phrase you use a lot. You know, a guy had a cup of coffee with the Dallas Mavericks, and uh, we're going to say that a lot this year, right? Like, yeah. you look, Isaiah <laughs> Thomas, Charlie Brown, Carly Jones, Brandon Knight, um, Gino Marui, maybe. Like, if these guys don't play again with the Mavericks, we'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, they played for the Mavericks in this weird year where they had 30 players or however many they'll finish the year with. Uh, has What kind of challenges has that brought for you, like, as a broadcaster? New guys, uh, the, the lineup is different every night, and then we can, we can talk about the actual 
Mavericks, but it changed. Like it, the team has been different every single day. It feels like you, you know yeah. Luca's playing, and then when Luca's back, KP is out, and we have new players. Like some of the ten day guys are starting. It's just it's been so strange and so inconsistent. How has that been as a broadcaster? And then we can talk about the Mavericks actually playing. You know what? That different. It, it, it Nick, it hasn't been bad at all because I enjoy the research and the storytelling storytelling mm-hmm. part of it. I mean, I really like that. You know, it's fun. Um, and obviously, you, look, you want your best players out there. But when a situation like this comes up and you get a chance to learn the backstory of uh, a Charlie Brown and who he is and where he went to school and Carly Jones, who we kind of learned a little bit about because he was with the team in the preseason and right. the, the, you know, the long path for Brandon Knight to get back into the league and, you know, to, to go back and refresh uh, when Isaiah Thomas was here and didn't get to use a lot of this information. But, I mean, his two-year run there in Boston – in 2015, 16, and 2016, 17 was, yeah, he led the league in fourth quarter points one year and put up incredible numbers. So, you know, to me, that challenge, if you will, is fun because I like, again, the research and the storytelling part of the job. So I uh, I enjoyed uh, getting a chance to learn about some individuals that I didn't know a whole lot about or refresh my memory about people who have been off the radar for a while. So uh, I didn't find that part of it challenging at all, other than it was just you know time consuming to do the work, but it was rewarding in terms of the time consumption that I put into it. Mm. As to, as when it comes to knowing what this team is, I, I see a lot of like national media people. I think I saw like Steve Jones or somebody tweet this the other day, like, "All right, this weekend or this week, I'm diving into the Mavericks. I'm going to figure yeah. out the Mavericks. I'm going to figure out who they are. Like, is this team, you know, this team that we're seeing right now, who's on this good winning streak, or are they just like a 500 team?" Um, it's so hard to know what this team is at this point. Are you waiting for a certain point in the season or do we like have we seen what the Mavericks are at any point this year? You know, that's a great question and we you know how things go in a TV broadcast. I think you've watched enough of what we do and kind of have an understanding of it. And as you know, we prepare things to talk about and then sometimes the game unfolds in a way that it doesn't really uh, fit to to you know you have this thing prepared the narrative yeah right yeah and it just doesn't fit we do so, that for sure <laughs> yeah so so the game on Friday night was the beginning mathematically of the second half of the season it was the 42nd mm-hmm. game on Friday night well the way the game went with the Mavs in Memphis talking about big picture stuff just didn't really fit because I mean a a, a very unexpected beatdown of the hottest team in the league by the Mavericks over the Memphis Grizzlies unfolded and that became the story and focusing solely on that really became the story so. We had this plan going into it of talking a little big picture uh, about the second half of the season. And what we discussed in our pre-production Zoom call uh, is sort of the answer that I would give you. And that is, okay. well, I think the story to tell at this point with the Mavs uh, midway through the season, uh, 22 and 19, their record through 41 games was just that they had been through so much and so many different things that happened. It's like I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about the team big picture wise other than all of this bad stuff has happened to them from injuries and adjustments to a new coach and some ups and some downs. And yet you look at the standings and they're very competitive for at worst right now, five or six in the Western conference. I mean, obviously they could slide back into play in territory, but you know, they sit here in the conversation for five or six in the West and they have a chance to do things. And one of them they did by the way, on Friday night, and they'll have another opportunity here later this week, a week from today, as we record this on Sunday, they'll have another opportunity against Memphis that's a path to get them at least back into uh, realistically the race for a top four seed in the Western conference. So the story for me, 41 games into the season, isn't necessarily, I can give you this like grandiose perspective 
and position statement on who and what they are, other than they've just sort of survived and have put themselves in a position where they still can make something really good happen in the second half of the season. That's that's kind of where I am on the Mavs right now. I, I think that's where you have to be, right? Because yeah. like Brunson, KP, and Luca, that was the 14th game that they've played together last night right. against the Orlando Magic. It's just it's just so strange. How how can you know what this team is, especially under Jason Kidd when their three best players haven't played um even 15 like even 15 games yeah. together it just seems so strange that this is where we are at this point in the season coming up we'll continue our conversation with mark follow the mavs play-by-play broadcaster about jason kidd about what the difference has been between rick carlisle who mark saw for many years in dallas and what jason kidd has brought to this team we'll talk about that coming up but before we do let me tell you about shopify cha-ching it's a sound of another sale on shopify the all-in-one commerce platform to start run and grow your business shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses, so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike, can sell everywhere. They can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. You can do all of this on Shopify. Go check it out. Right now, they're giving users uh, a 14-day free trial to get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. But you have to go to our special URL, shopify.com slash NBA. The Lockdown NBA is all lowercase. It's very important. Shopify.com slash NBA. Go check it out. If you have a small business, you are doing yourself a disservice to not check out Shopify's all their features that they can do to help you reach customers online and everywhere. So go to shopify.com right now slash locked on NBA shopify.com slash locked on NBA right now go to shopify.com slash locked on NBA they've been pretty resilient Nico Harrison used that word yesterday uh, when talking about this Mavericks team they've been so resilient and he also said that it was kind of a good thing that some of these guys had been out because it, it allowed other guys to get more playing time gain more confidence a guy like Josh Green a guy like um, you know, Sterling Brown getting some extra time, even just Brunson getting the extra run and to prove, I think, to Jason Kidd that he should be, you know, a starter and step in there. Um, have, have you seen that that's been a benefit to some of these guys to get some extra run, to get some extra playing time? And where do you think the Mavs have benefited most? In well, that? I think the two name two names that you just mentioned are probably the two I would point to. Uh, Jalen, because he's had the opportunity to start and he played so well when he was a starter that the Mavericks arrived in what I think is a really good place for their starting lineup. And that is Jalen has played so well, you can't take him out of the starting lineup right. that he needs to be with Luca in the backcourt that you need to start the game. You need to finish the game with two playmakers on the floor. And then you can manage those middle minutes late in the first quarter and early in the second quarter and stagger Jalen and Luca's minutes. So one of them is always out there. So you have a high level playmaker on the floor at all times or two good playmakers on the floor right. at the beginning of the game, the end of the half, the beginning of the third quarter, and the end of the fourth quarter if it's a close game. Uh, that, to me, is number one in terms of a benefit. And the secondary benefit is that it has forced Josh Green into the lineup, and Josh has played well. I've loved what I've seen out of him because uh, we hadn't seen anything to really yeah. give us any sort of confidence or make any even sort of judgment because he just didn't play. And when he did play, uh, you know, obviously last year was rough, but it was a rookie season. So we certainly understand that. And then there was nothing that we even saw out of him to reach any sort of conclusion, good or bad, other than he's just not out there on the floor helping the team. And so once he got out on the floor and we saw and I saw a little bit of this last year, but I think you've certainly seen it this year. Number one, he has very good basketball instincts in terms of movement off the ball. I've said this in some other and including my own podcast and some other interviews, Nick. 
Uh, a very popular term that we use right now, if you watch football very much, is playing complementary football. And I think Josh Green is a really good complimentary basketball player because he plays well off of other good players. He moves well off the ball. He has uh, a high passing IQ. That 10 assist game in Portland sort of jumps to mind, but he always seems to make really good decisions in terms of moving the basketball itself in addition to how he moves off the ball. And then now there's a comfort level in his shot. Uh, you know, we've seen him do things. I think I even said one time at a broadcast this year, it's like, man, I can't believe Josh Green just like shot a pull-up jump, you know, put the ball down and shot a pull-up yeah. jumper on the baseline. <laughs> and he's shooting some threes. Uh, last year, he made only four threes for the entire 39 games he played for the whole year. And I think he said a 6-3 of the year last night mm-hmm. and shooting an acceptable percentage. Not, it's not a high volume yet, three-point shots, but the ones that he has taken, at least the percentage is acceptable in the neighborhood of the league average at this point, or very, very close to it anyway. So uh, those two players, to me, I think probably more than anybody that jumps readily to mind have benefited from, you know, how this has all played out with uh, COVID protocols and injuries and getting, you know, more of an opportunity to play as we kind of circle our way back to Nico's comments last night. Yeah, Josh Green has been a a welcome surprise for sure. I think both those guys, Brunson and Jalen, have been such a big welcome surprise because Josh Green, a lot of fans and even including us, you know, some of us in the media kind of wrote him off. Like, hey, if if this team is not playing him and they've seen him in practice, they know what he looks like, then why are they not giving him any run at all, right? And then then you go back to, okay, well, maybe it was just Rick just hated rookies. You you just try to start thinking through all the different reasons it could be. Um, But now we're finally seeing the, the benefits of, all right, giving him some confidence. And I wonder if some of that is the, you know, the, the confidence that Jason Kidd can bring to a team. We've heard a couple of players this year. I think Tim Hardaway Jr., Reggie Bullock have mentioned Jason Kidd is a player's coach and he comes mm-hmm. in and gives, you know, the Mavericks confidence and gives players confidence, gives shooters confidence. I wish the shooters would hit their <laughs> the threes that they're so confident in taking. But um, Jason Kidd, I think, has brought just a different vibe, a different um, mentality to this team. Where have you seen Jason Kidd um bring something different than, than Rick Carlisle. And I, I still don't know if it's, it's better or worse at this point in the, in the year, but right. um, where do you see it being different when you, when you see this team, when you watch this team? Well, I think that there's clearly a communication, uh, a two way street of communication that Jason has talked about and preached. Uh, that is different than what it was not to say, look, I watched a lot of shoot arounds and practices with Rick over the years. And I saw Rick seek input from his team. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want people to think that he wasn't the kind of coach who would right. seek input from his team on ideas for how should we approach this or how should we approach that. But there's just but a level of communication. Rick wouldn't have a leadership council, would he? <laughs> uh, you, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know if that would be something that would be necessarily up his alley. Right. But I think that, uh, yeah, the communication thing for Jason is, is what I've seen uh, that's been, you know, a real breath of fresh air. And I think something that everyone really has gravitated towards and really admired about Jason is that, uh, you know, there is there is uh, an open two way street of communication. Uh, and then when you do that, then you're able to be a little bit tougher and the message can take hold because obviously, look, there's been some rough patches this year. And I said at the beginning of the year, look, all of this like uh, nice stuff. And even Jason kind of laughingly referred to it as, well, we're dating right now. You know, <laughs> we haven't had our first fight yet. We're a couple yeah, that hasn't right. had our first fight yet. But, you know, there's always going to be tough times. And the Mavs went through some tough times. Uh, you know, they went through some pretty low points there with some of the losses that they suffered early on in December. And Jason said, you know, look, the, these times are testing us. Um, and it looks to me like they've been able to weather the storm 
And, you know, they, they're responding well to the test. Now, you know, it took getting knocked down a few times, uh, you know, bad losses to New Orleans and Memphis early in December, uh, you know, a, a gut-wrenching loss to the Lakers at home, uh, a gut-wrenching loss on the road to Sacramento. Uh, but, but they have been resilient and bouncing back from those and now put together a stretch of good play. And they're, they're back to equaling their high watermark of the season of five games over 500. It seems like forever ago that they were nine and four through the first 13 games to start the year. Then Luka got hurt and things kind of went downhill and they ended up getting as far as two games below 500. But now they bounce back to five games over and we'll see if you know they're going to continue moving from there. And I love to look uh, not to say that Rick didn't try to get them to play defense, but clearly what this team's identity was high level offensive efficiency, space the floor, shoot a ton of threes. Um, and you know, Jason's mentality of, if we're going to win a championship, uh, we must play defense. We must find a way to be consistent defensively and have that be our calling card rather than, uh, offensive efficiency and offense will come if you play good defense. And if you have good shooters on your team, certainly they'll start hitting shots at a higher rate than you would expect. So Jason's mentality of, you know, even though the the stats don't necessarily show this, but the ball needs to touch the paint and good things will happen. We need to be more focused on that on offense, but our first and form, uh, first and most important focus has to be what we do on the defensive end of the floor. And, you know, we're, we're finally sort of seeing that statistically show up now for about a one month period since early December. Well, even, I mean, right now for the entire season, according to cleaning the glass maps are the fifth best defensive yeah. team right now. Uh, and it's, it's pretty wild to see, this team such a big turnaround in that area. Now they're also 15th in offense, which is pretty good, but not the best offensive rating in NBA history that we've been used to seeing. You mentioned right. Carlisle had this mentality of, all right, with Luca and with KP, I can create the best offense the NBA has ever seen efficiency wise, but defense be damned a little bit, right? I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm going to, the defense sort of goes to the wayside. And I think that comes with, with personnel a little bit. It comes with, um, you know, some of the schemes, but do you think it's with this defense for the Mavericks, how it's so drastically different going from like 20th, 22nd last year to now fifth? Do you think it's scheme? Do you think it's a little players? Because the Mavericks did add like, you know, Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown, um, and, and KP coming back from um, that injury and being like fully 100% back. Which do you credit that more? Or do you think it's, a, you know, the blame pie is 50 50 on that? Uh, again, good question, as they all have been. Um, I think there's a lot of things that I would look at. Um, you know, number one, uh, from a scheme standpoint, uh, you know, I don't want to like sit here and like try to act like I've got some sort of like brilliant uh, perspective on what they've done from a scheme standpoint. Uh, obviously, things have changed. And I think they're probably took uh, and the players themselves have said this and the coaches have sort of said this as well. Yes, it took a while for them to get comfortable with new concepts, new ideas, new terminology, all that sort of thing. So that's one part of the equation. Uh, another aspect of the equation that I brought up on the radio show that we do on the ticket with uh, the guys with Justin Montemayor and Brian Damaris, we talked about this a little bit last night after the game uh, when we were kind of delving into, well, what's different? Because there are some new players and those guys have helped. Bullock, as you said, Brown, Josh Green getting more minutes mm-hmm. than he did last year. That's another change from last year when you want to kind of analyze what's going on defensively. But, but, Early in the year, how many times did we hear J-Kid say after games? I mean, Nick, you're on Zoom. You hear this. Uh, we cannot continue to let our inconsistency of making shots 
affect our consistency and our effort and our focus on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, Jason was saying that a lot this year yeah. in the early part of the season. Uh, he nor Sean Sweeney have said that very much lately. Uh, and and yes, they're making more shots. Shot making is better than it was early in the season, but it's still across the board consistently hasn't jumped to this uber high efficient level yet. They're better but it's not like they're one of the very, very best in the NBA. Their offensive efficiency, I guess, is top 10 in their recent run. But still, there's nights when shots aren't falling at the regularity, degree of regularity that we would have expected to see in the past. But yet it seems like that their defense is sort of able to plow through whatever disappointment they have about not making shots and play well on that end of the floor. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of is energy effort focus part of it because those are some terms that Sean Sweeney has used lately when he was – uh, you know, front and center in terms of media availability and and doing the talking pre and post game whenever Jason was in health and safety protocols. Um, you know, so I think that's part of it. KP being healthy is part of it, you know, healthier than he was last year, uh, you know, and being a little bit more mobile on, de- on defense. And he's more of a uh, paint protection presence and shot blocking presence when he's played this year. I think that's probably an aspect of it. So it's 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 a lot of things. Uh, the league is a little bit different this year, too. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the league has slowed down. Three-point shooting is down. Uh, the Mavericks are playing at a slow pace, and that seems like it's kind of fit in the way things have materialized in the league this year with a slower pace and lower scoring and lower shooting percentages. And the way the Mavs have played this year is just, uh, you know, a style that theoretically is more conducive to success in the playoffs because the game slows down. Shooting percentages, you know, typically tend to go down because defense gets a little bit more dialed in and rugged and, you know, is focused on taking away the things that you do well because you see each other, you know, six or seven times over the course of two weeks. So, uh, you know, long answer to your question, but I don't think it's a very easily answered question because there are so many different tangential directions you can go and why it's better. Because I don't think there's any just like one specific answer to it. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Yeah, which is, this is what team basketball is. Sometimes there's a yeah. lot of lot of answers, and sometimes there's a lot of problems. And those answers, those problems, can have multiple answers. Sometimes yeah, you're right. You're right. Coming up, we'll continue our conversation with Mark Falwell about Luka Doncic. What has been different with Luka? What is different from this season than past seasons? What is working for Luka? What is not working for Luka? And we'll talk to him about his firsthand experience calling the game for Dirk's jersey retirement night and that entire night where he had tons of interviews and all that. We'll get his perspective on it. But before we do, let me tell you about Built Bar. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They're absolutely delicious. I have to re-up my box right now. Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off the coconut brownie chunk. If I go to the website right now, and I am, I'm on there. Coconut brownie chunk is the number one thing on their site. They did a bracket back last March, or like around then, and everybody voted that is that have tried Built Bars. A lot of our hosts voted, and we've tried pretty much all these bars. And coconut brownie chunk was the number one bar that people voted. Like the number one, it made it all the way to the end. It was the number one bar, and so they had to keep restocking those, keep remaking them. They listen to their customers, and Built Bar knows exactly what their customers want. They want delicious protein bars that taste exactly like candy bars. So go to the website, Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. Get yourself a box, Coconut Brownie Chunk. You will not be disappointed in that bar. Absolutely delicious. If you have any other uh, questions on flavors, send me a message. Let me let me and Isaac know, and we will answer your questions about Built Bars. Again, LOCKED15 is the promo code, Built.com. 
Also, I want to tell you about betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to put down some money on sports, to go ahead and, uh, and, and get some of that action, get in some of that action. I'm actually recording this after the Cowboys game, so I won't make any kind of Cowboys comments about that, but you have a couple more games coming out. This Monday night game, Cardinals-Rams. The Rams are a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. That one is really interesting. And then you have the Saturday game that we already know, 49ers versus Packers. The Packers start that one out as a five-point favorite. So if you're into the NFL, great stuff. If you're just into basketball, I don't understand that. Go ahead and check out betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN. They'll give you a 50, they'll give you 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. So put in 100 bucks, they'll give you 50 bucks to use on their site. So go check it out, BetOnline, where the game starts. You mentioned the slow pace. I found it funny the other day when Jalen Brunson said about the Knicks game. You know, we I think we played down to their pace, and they were the Mavs were 29th in pace, and the Knicks were, were 30th in yeah. pace in the, <laughs> in the NBA. This team does play very slow, but the three point the three point um, shooting and hanging your heads is definitely a big thing. You mentioned that Jason Kidd said that a lot in the press comments. You're not understating that. Jason Kidd right. maybe said that six, like maybe six or seven times after yeah. games early in the year, especially when the Mavs, you know, would come back the first couple. I mean, the first week or so, the Mavs were shooting like 20 something percent from three. Uh, but if you look at some of these last wins, Memphis game, 26% from three. Um, Warriors win, 27% from three. Like these, these, the Mavericks aren't just shooting the lights out and beating some of these really good teams in the NBA. They're finally accepting some of these concepts they're not hanging their head when they don't yeah. shoot well and they're it, maybe that has been the big thing that Jason Kidd has brought just the you know don't give up mentality the don't give up on the play don't give up on the yeah. game when your three-point shot isn't going down and that's been um, one of the biggest things the Mavericks have, have changed I want to talk about Luca because I think that affects him a lot and especially you know the three-point shooting not hitting his threes he's still not hitting his threes him and KP have both uttered the phrase this year my threes are terrible which I find yeah. funny that they both have, <laughs> have said that exact phrase before um, we go any farther with that yeah. can, can I just I, I want to mm-hmm. revisit what you said just a second yeah, go ago because I thought it was a really good point and it ties into what gives me hope for the rest of the year why mm-hmm. you know Harp and I said last night in the telecast the best is yet to come because the way they've won games against good teams here recently is something that cannot be overlooked and understated. Right. Golden State scored 82 points against the Mavs, which was a season low, and I assume still is. I don't think they've scored less than 82 in any of their recent games that have occurred after that. Uh, Memphis scoring 85 points the other night was a season low for Memphis. Chicago was averaging 120 points per game, Nick, in their nine-game winning streak, and the Mavs held them to 99. And in those games... Steph, you know, look, Steph missed some shots that he makes, of course, uh, typically. He went five for 24. That wasn't all Mavs defense, but some of it was. Uh, Zach Levine went seven for 21. Nick Vucevic went six for 17. Some of those things are getting a little bit lucky. We all know that. We all understand that. But some of those things are Mavs defense, too. I mean, if you're watching the games, you see it's like some of it just is, you know, are you going to get down in a stance and are you going to not let your guy beat you? You know, <laughs> right, and, right. and I see I think that we can look at situations and see that happening a lot more frequently against good players, too, than we did early in the season. And Sean brought this up. Sean Sweeney brought this up. And I, and I refer to him a lot, not just because he was the recent acting head coach, but he's sort of the assistant head coach that has, you know, the most skin in the game when it comes to defense. He's the right. uh, if you're going to apply another football term to it, he's the defensive coordinator. Not, you know, he's not the only guy out there covering defense. Greg St. Jean is involved in it. And Jared Dudley and Igor Kokoshkov have their roles in that as well. But Sean is, you know, the guy. He's the Dan Quinn. <laughs> yeah, he's the guy when it comes first and foremost to defense. And, you know, he brought up a great point the other night. 80% of what we do 
each game are our defensive principles that are going to be unwavering from game to game to game. Mm. 20% of it is an adjustment to what that particular opponent's strength and, strengths and weaknesses are. So I thought that was a unique perspective as well. So, you know, I know you had a different direction you wanted to go, but before we completely got away from yeah. defense, I just wanted to add that what they've done against good teams recently is something that I think should be pretty eye-opening in terms of hope that you can carry that into the remainder of the season. Yeah, and those those wins against the, you know, the the Grizzlies and the Warriors were not by like, you know, one point, two points. These are like double digit well, wins both of these. So yeah. it's it's not just that, you know, okay, Steph missed some shots and John Morant, you know, didn't really play some defense. <laughs> There's a lot of factors in those games too. For sure. Uh, I I did want to talk about Luca because this has been we talk about the Mavericks success and how the Mavericks have been, you know, playing well recently and all that kind of stuff. But this has been a really weird year for Luca. Um, as somebody that interacts with this fan base, like as almost my job, yeah. um, I've never seen criticism for Luca the way that I've seen this year. And there are even fringe, and I'm not even sure they're Mavs fans. They could just be Luca fans that are tired of the Mavericks. But uh, I've even seen people say we should trade Luca, which is like, would seem insane in the past and yeah. and and still is insane now. Like yeah, the map should not a, be doing that, right? It's absurd, yes. Yeah, right. Like, it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah, now. Get close to the microphone to say it. It's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous now, but uh I hadn't ever seen that in the past. And it's it's interesting to see um how he came into this year and to look at we just had this whole reflective of Dirk's career recently. And there's some, I think there's some parallels in there where Dirk didn't necessarily take his body seriously until a little later in his career, when then he became this insane, you know, person that completely took care of, of everything in a meticulous way. Like he didn't, he didn't start his NBA career doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, Health and fitness guru, Dirk Nowitzki. Who knew? Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he is now, but um, I, I saw the, the pics, the pics of him and Nash, like out having fun and, you know, all, like the loon? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, what have you seen from Luca this year? What do you think is, is working for him is not working for him um, because it has been such a weird start to the year. And there have been people, I mean, the ESPN guys the other night had a ridiculous statement. They're like, all right, all three of us, Stephen A., Will Bond, and Jalen Rose said they would start a franchise with John Morant instead of Luka Doncic. Like these are the types of conversations that are happening that are, I think, are also ridiculous. But what do you think is is not working for Luka this year? Is it just conditioning? Is it just you know the way he came into the season, or is there you know a, the scheme is not necessarily working for him this this year as well? And well, look, I mean, twenty four, eight, and eight, right? Like he's still yeah. averaging, like, and he's still putting up numbers. But yeah, yeah, I mean, closer to twenty five points, right, and closer yeah, to, right. to almost nine rebounds and nine assists a game. I'll look at mm-hmm. my notes. Yeah, he was going into last night eight and a half rebounds and eight and eight point nine assists going into last night. So really, he's about. 25 almost 25 9 and 9 is right. what we're talking about with we can round so, up on this show yeah, <laughs> yeah we can do that yeah let's let's, let's uh, follow our uh, elementary school mathematics principles and round up when the, when when the right side of the decimal point is higher than 0.5 you know uh That's so the first time i've been owned at math on, on this show i think where someone came in it was just like no. i love you know i love numbers man you know that uh so i think look look uh Again, a question that has, you know, is is a, a very insightful question with a lot of different directions we can go with it. Uh, early in the season and at the beginning of the year, I've seen pictures where people have done comparisons to Media Day last year, last right. season going in and going into Media Day this year. To me, Luca looked fine from a physical uh, body conditioning standpoint. He got hurt. The game on November the 15th, which is kind of coincided whenever the Mavs went from nine and four and then their record started dipping. You know, I think it was probably a little bit harder for him to be in the kind of condition that he wanted to be. 
You know, I do think Luca wants some size on his frame because I think he likes being able to operate against smaller players and post them up and back them down and then scream at them that they're too effing small <laughs> afterwards because that does happen. Uh, you know, more Beverly than occasion. Yeah. <laughs> Terrence, man, you know, just line oh up other guys God. on the list. Too. Oh, Wagner last night. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that we see that side of Luca, by the way. That's fun, man. I, I enjoy that. So, you know, I think he wants a little bit of size on his frame to be able to do that. Um, you know, when I look at what is or isn't working for Luca this year, I mean, the first thing I point to is it's abundantly clear that he played when he did come back from that initial injury with the, the Austin Rivers rolling up on the back of his leg in the mm-hmm. Denver game on November 15th. When he came back from that, I mean, every game was going down and getting up slowly at some point in the game and flexing that leg and grimacing. And, you know, it was a problem. And I'm still not sure, you know, how close he is to 100% at this point. So so that's the number one thing I see is that somebody suffered an injury uh, less than a month into the season and hasn't been fully right ever since then and still can play at a very, very high level, even though he isn't, you know, at the maximum, uh, you know, health situation that you would hope for. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, look, to me, isn't this what – Jason Kidd said needed to happen at the beginning of the year. And that is if the, if the team is going to be dependent on Luca putting up uh, these otherworldly numbers and superhuman games night in, night out to the regular season, then how can we ever hope for him to be in a position uh, to be at his best in the playoffs when teams then are really going to try to take things away from him and really dial in on him? And it's just going to be, you know, look look at how much he did in the Clippers series last year and how exhausted he was looking towards right. and how worn down he looked at towards the end of the series. And think about if they had won that, man, if you're thinking about winning a championship, you got to do that three more times. You know, it's not just one arduous series that you've got to go through. It's four of them to be able to win a title. So to me, the fact that his numbers are a little bit down uh, you know, the three point shooting is a concern. The fact that it's, you know, plummeted down into, you know, the low 30s and there's been, you know, 0 for sixes and things like that. Now, the great thing about the Memphis game when he went 0 for six from three is he went 12 for 16 or whatever it was on twos and had a season high this year in points in the paint. So Luke is a smart enough player that he's, you know, he's been able to adjust this year and still rely on his ability to beat people off the dribble and score inside and post up players and score against smaller players and those sorts of things to still be able to put up numbers. But I don't look at anything as other than the three point percentage, you know, as anything alarming and just that he's not hundred percent healthy. You know, you would, you would want to see that and not have to play a whole year like that. Uh, this, this is in a lot of ways. I mean, what this team needs to be at its best is that Luca doesn't have to be a 30 point, a 29 or 30 point per game guy or 28, 29 point per game guy that he can be a 24, 25 point per game guy and involving other people in the right way and in the right time, then gives you the best chance to be successful. And, uh, you know, by the way, uh, if his offense suffers a point or two per game, because he's expending a little bit more energy on defense, I don't have a problem with that because again, that's all part of the component of winning a championship. And I think Luca, by the way, has looked better on that end of the floor this year. Um, you know, and I thought we saw some improvement in him last year, and I think we've seen some improvement this year relative to last year. So nothing other than, as I said, the three-point percentage is happening in his game that I look at that's, you know, anything that's, that isn't a positive for the Mavs. He's still producing at a high level. 
but the numbers have taken, you know, the decrease that you would hope would be proportionate to the involvement of other people that makes it, you know, uh, uh, more of a team game that's more ultimately conducive to higher level success eventually. Yeah, it's interesting. That? Yeah, <laughs> his assist percentage is a little up. The one thing that I do think has been has been down a little bit that I think is conditioning a little bit and is um, maybe just some other problems. His, his two point percentage is down too, and he, uh, you know, a couple years ago was like top ten in the NBA. He was like up there mm-hmm. with Giannis and Anthony Davis and like big centers that were you know shooting well inside the paint, especially just inside like the restricted area. Yeah, um, he's missed some bunnies recently where, where you're like, man, like he would he feel like he would make that in the past, and so I think there's there's maybe. There's something going on with his his touch there, but the way that he's made up for it is this mid range, right? Like right. we talked about Dirk earlier, and he's made that Dirk shot over and over again to the point where Hubie Brown called it his pat that Lucas patented shot, and I was like, hold on, wait, didn't we just see a guy do this <laughs> for up. like decades before? Um, but yeah, he's 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 taking it, he's taking it to that degree where he's hitting those um, he's hitting those mid range shots, and he's 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 killing it. That's how he killed the Grizzlies the other night. All those shots weren't just like at the rim. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Dirk said this, and and I think that because I listened to what Dirk had to say over the years that, um, you know, and, and I certainly understand, uh, you know, where the league is and the models of efficiency of, you know, shoot threes, get inside. I mean, that, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong with the fact that the league is trending that way. But Dirk always brought up the fact that, you know, late in games, Teams are not going to give you wide open threes. They're going to work much harder to take those away from you. They're going to work much harder to take away your ability to get inside. You've got to have something else that you can go to. And I think that's why Dirk was such a, uh, you know, such a hard worker and such a believer in that part of your game that you, that, you know, you, you can score at three levels. You know, you don't just want to be a two level score where it's at the rim or it's from the three point line. Um, I know that analytically that's great but there's still is value in being a three-level score. And we're seeing that with Luca this year. And I don't know if that's specifically Dirk's influence rubbing off on him because Dirk's around more. And I do think that as the years have unfolded, even, you know, they were teammates obviously for a season, but I think even as the years have gone by and now Dirk's more involved with his special advisor role, I do think that there is a growing mentorship that continues there with Dirk and Luca. Maybe some of that is, is what this is all about, or maybe it's just Luca's just, you know, he's obviously a high IQ guy. And he understands that teams are going to work to take things away from me. So I've got to work on this part of my game. And, you know, we're seeing the fruits of of his efforts to do that so far this year, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely added that to his game over the last couple of years. And it has definitely benefited him. Last question here for you quickly. Uh, you're somebody that was there for Dirk's like, a long time in Dirk's run covering this, this Mavericks team, being around the team. Um, what was that night like? The Jersey retirement, uh, seeing all those guys on the 2011 team there. Um, I stayed a little. I stayed even like as late as I possibly could just to watch Dirk go through and like hug every single person afterwards, and then go over and hug Luca. He had a little moment together with Luca, yeah. and then I, I will, I will take this to my grave that when they they embraced afterwards, no like no cameras, no nothing. Dirk like pointed up to the rafters and looked at Luca, and I was like, ooh, he's like yeah. he's like making a spot for him up there, and hopefully, <laughs> hoping that that Luca takes the mantle from him. But what was that night like for you? Um, is there anything that stood out to you that, that people aren't even talking about, or that you thought was uh, was memorable or special? Uh, well, it was great to see the championship guys, and loved you know having them on our telecast that night. We had Karan and we had uh, Peja and JJ and, and Tricks were on the pre-game show on Valley Sports as well. So having you know hearing all of their stories and their memories was great. But what I loved about it, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, uh, this is what I loved about the night more than anything. 
I think some people looked at tonight and I got a lot of tweets about, man, my sports tears are going to be flowing tonight and everything. <laughs> and it was emotional to see because I thought like when he talked about his mom and dad, especially since his mom wasn't here at the mm. end of his career, I thought when he talked about his mom and dad, man, that would be the thing that would get Dirk. And, you know, he used enough uh, humor through other parts of the speech to kind of get him through that. And then the emotional part was when he started talking about the fans. And, yeah. you know, I've said this before, and I want to reiterate that that Dirk and Dallas is an amazing story. And it's the best story that we've ever had in sports here. I really, really believe that. And I'm not naive enough to say it's the biggest story because, of course, you know, hey, look, there's a reason we're recording this podcast earlier in the day on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we all want to watch the Cowboys later today. We all get what the biggest story yeah, in town right. is. But we not we not them boys. Yeah. <laughs> but but <laughs> Dirk is the best story because it's a guy who came here who seems so out of place and by his own admission. I mean, how many times has he called himself? the skinny, shy, 19-year-old from Würzburg, Germany, right, yeah. who came here and everybody in Dallas wrapped their arms around him. And even though the first year was rough and the morning news ran the Paul Pierce comparisons after every game that first year. <laughs> do you know they did that? You know, I sometimes I, I take it. I wasn't here then. But yeah, yeah, okay. So sometimes I take for granted. This is going to be a long answer. I'm sorry. Stream of consciousness is coming here. Uh, uh, I take for granted the fact people don't realize that that happened here. So Dirk was taken ninth in 1998. Paul Pierce was taken 10th. Then the lockout happened and the season didn't start until February of, two, of 1999. So that entire year, uh, you know, and I get it, but the morning news started running these comparisons game to game of what Dirk did and what Paul Pierce did because it's like, oh my gosh. Game to game passed. of every game? Yes, yes, that was that's, happening. That's just weird <laughs> content in general. Like that's be like if we would do Desmond Bain, Josh Green right now, right? Like if we just right. kept running those every day. Yeah, so this was happening for a lot of the season. Uh, that they were running these like game, you know, like, well, last night Paul Pierce had 27 and Dirk had seven, you know, and uh, here's what he's, you know, here's what Pierce is doing and here's what Dirk is doing. So yeah, that happened for a bunch of the year, uh, his rookie season. And, and so there were some rough patches, but the fans stood by him. And then we saw Dirk, you know, just grow into this, uh, you know, obviously historically great player, but, you know, we don't watch games, Nick, we don't cover games, we cover people playing games. Yeah, and so true. the person that Dirk is, you know, just, just how it all unfolded of, of this improbable rise to NBA icon status, global basketball icon status. And it all happened here. And there was such a warm and fuzzy mutual admiration society between the Maverick fans and Dirk and Dirk and their appreciation for them that I thought that, you know, that just has made it the best story that I think's ever happened in Dallas Fort Worth sports. So what I recall and what I think about with that night was Flashing back to Dirk retired in 2019. He then did exactly what he said he was going to do and what he needed to do, which is I want to travel while the kids are still young and aren't in school. Yeah, right. And I need a break from basketball. So he wasn't around very much. And then I think, and I've never heard Dirk address this specifically, but I do believe in my heart of hearts that I think Dirk understood that, look, it was going to be really hard for this franchise after Dirk was such an overwhelming presence for 21 seasons for the franchise to start carving out its new path. And so I think Dirk stayed away so he didn't cast his looming shadow over everything. Yeah, so I, I, never, I yeah. never heard him say that. But I, look, we know Dirk, and I think we understand who he is and what he's all about. So all of the things I said earlier were true. Yes, he said he needed a break yeah. because basketball was everything for 21 years. Yeah, he wanted to go travel and go live his best life. and that's. But I also think that Dirk recognized it's in the best interest for the Mavericks if I'm not there all the time initially. 
And then COVID hit. March 11, 2020 comes around. And then everybody is not around at that point. So right. Dirk was, was, to me, a little surprisingly kind of off the radar, basically from the end of his career. And then obviously more established with the organization with getting into this special advisor role that he's had. And we had him on the broadcast. But for me, the great thing about the night was Dirk was back and we all got to see him and we all got to hear from him and we all got to have another long kiss goodnight. You know, that yeah, was right. That was the cool part of the night to me. It wasn't that, uh, you know, it's great that 41 goes up there and that's forever. And that cements his legacy as the greatest Maverick. And, you know, we all love that. But just seeing him, hearing from him and seeing the uh, undying, everlasting love that's going to exist yeah, between right. everybody right. who's a Mavs fan and Dirk and that reciprocity between the two parties involved. That's just... That to me is so cool, man. And that's what the whole night was about was to get to see that love affair sort of rekindled for a night and everybody to put their arms around each other again. You know, I, I don't mean to like, I feel like I'm writing a romance novel with some of the terminology. <laughs> hey, that's what yeah. it was. It's the greatest story, right? You, you can't help but wax poetic about a guy like Dirk from what he means to this. I, I said after the that night, I don't know if there's a single player, save maybe Michael Jordan, that means as much to one franchise as Dirk does. And I would yeah. argue that Michael Jordan even does more or, or that, yeah. that Dirk does even more um, because of the history the Mavs had before and after and all that. Sure. Um, sure. No, it was, it was a great night. And that to me, that's what, uh, you know, it, there were a lot of wonderful things. Uh, I did say the one underrated part of the night was Jason Kidd's comedic timing uh, because <laughs> Give him when a he, 10 day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, he did a nice job of just like, you know, I mean, I'm not like a comedian guy, but we all res we all understand that there is comedic timing in terms of how you deliver jokes and lines. Right. And he did a good job with that, of like the, <laughs> his cadence with it and then turning and looking at him and this like goofy look on his face and sitting there in silence and everybody laughing. So uh, the the underrated part of the night, the thing that nobody's talking about is Jason Kidd has underrated <laughs> comedic timing. I think so. Not yeah. a doctor, not a comedian. He just, he'll, he'll, he'll just, he'll just all year. He'll just bring up different professions. He's not, um, you mentioned Dirk on the broadcast again. I lied. Last question. Now um, you mentioned Dirk on the broadcast is that game before that, that Jersey night game. I think it was that nuggets game, right? Or he joined you on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. I thought he was really, really yeah. good. Right? December 20, December 21st against Minnesota. That was the game that we had him on. So it was, it was several games. It was before weeks before that time. He was, time okay. is a, Time is a construct. <laughs> so, and uh, to, to clarify, you are right. He was on the pregame show. So he was on Mavs Live with Dana and Devin and Brian Damaris on January the 3rd. But he was with me and Skin when Harp was out for a period right. of time. He was with me and Skin as the full for the full game as an oh, analyst, as a guest yeah. analyst on December 21st against Minnesota. My so brain just blocked out all, all <laughs> of that time, I guess. That was when the Mavs were losing, so I was just blocked out. He, yeah. I, I thought he was so good on the broadcast, him being like one of the first times he's been on. And obviously, like you have like the... You have like the... <laughs> like you have all these clips, right, with him and showing his like uh, broadcast skills. But... Um, are we going to see more of that? Is Dirk going to come back a couple times uh, and be like, you know, fill in? Or is that just a one time harp is out because of, you know, COVID in that situation? Or, um, well, know, there's, we have an open door policy when it comes to Dirk on the broadcast. So he can be back anytime he wants to. And I do think that that's going to happen periodically in the future. I, you know, I don't, it's not going to happen like 15 times a year or anything like that. Yeah. But I certainly think a few times a season that, uh, you know, Dirk's going to, I, I certainly hope so. And, and, and I think he wants to do it. That was the vibe I got from that particular night that he wants to do that. And man, he was so good. Um, and, you know, it was so fun having him on the Zoom production call and, you know, him 
like you know telling his you know telling his crazy dirt stories and yeah and, the and, towns thing that was yeah. in, like that's it was minnesota you're, you're completely right yeah uh the towns thing where towns had said i'm the greatest you know big man shooter in the history of the game and dirk was like oh the greatest big man shooter takes it makes, makes a three <laughs> oh it was amazing yeah so the the great thing the, the amazing thing about that night was just sitting there and two minutes into the game, dude, just sitting there realizing, whoa, Dirk's just like going stream of consciousness right now. Yeah, right. And sitting here listening to <laughs> how much he's seeing about the game and trying to like verbalize in real time. And this is like Romo-esque kind of like he's seeing this, he's seeing that. And he's like saying it all at once. And it's like, follow Will, stay the hell out of the way for a few <laughs> minutes and let this dude let this dude roll. So it was, man, it was really, really interesting to see. You know, Dirk obviously is an extremely knowledgeable player about the game. Right. And then to hear him say all of it, because we didn't, you know, we never watched a game with him before, obviously. You know, he's out yeah, there. Yeah, right. Play. Yeah, he was <laughs> We don't have that experience. And so <laughs> to sit there next to him watching a game and seeing everything that he was saying in real time about this needs to happen and they're doing this. And it's like, holy cow, man, <laughs> this is this is some incredible stuff. So uh, I thought he did a great job and would love to have, you know, would love to have him because he's got funny stories to tell. But we saw a level of basketball insight unfolding in real time that night that we've never really kind of had the chance to hear from Dirk before, uh, you know, because obviously he's always talking about the game as a past occurrence or talking about the game as a future occurrence, not there in real time. So that mm -hmm. was that was super cool, man. Loved it. I also mentioned Romo that after that game and said yeah. that uh, the way he called fouls, like he called what the foul was, right? As soon, like almost as soon as it happened. And uh, I thought that was where he was, he was Romo. Cause he can't really call plays before, right? He can't sure. be like, Oh, pick and roll left side. You know, he can't really do that, but uh, yeah, calling the fouls. I thought was great. Mark follow. Thank you for the extra time. Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny to plug your work is like, watch a Mavs game, like, there you <laughs> like go. watch a Mavs yeah. game on Valley sports. <laughs> anything else you want to plug podcast, anything else, radio show? Um, well, you know, Brian and I do a podcast, Take That With You. Uh, it's a subscriber podcast on Patreon. Yeah, Dirk, Dirk <laughs> named our podcast so many years ago, man. But, uh, you know, speaking of plugging work, I would just like to say that uh, you and Nick, uh, you and Isaac, I'm sorry. I know Isaac isn't with us today, but you guys do a wonderful job. This is a go-to podcast if you're a Mavs fan. I love your guys' insight and, you know, the, the uh, professionalism in terms of your setup that you've got here. I mean, you've got this awesome intro. It's like, oh, man, this is like just, <laughs> the work that, that you guys have done to make this just uh, a venture that is worthy of the Mavericks and worthy of fans getting up-to-date information and good takes and, you know, coming and just talking Mavs and having fun and getting insight, man. You guys do a wonderful job. And I mean that with the utmost sincerity, man. Great job. And Thank so you. if there's any work I want to plug, I want to plug your work because you and Isaac are doing a fantastic job. And, you know, it was great to be on with you. I was honored to be invited on as a guest. And uh, feel free to have me on. You know, give me the dark open door policy. I can come on whenever <laughs> I want. We will. So, all right. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so you much for the time and, uh, and appreciate it. Guys, thanks so much for listening to Log on Maps. Yeah.